Welcome to Fire and Water, the podcast, coming of age in this age, where we seek to cultivate wise leaders one show at a time by connecting with today's elders. I am your host, Juanita Robertson. Welcome to Fire and Water Podcast. Today I have the guest, Ann Baring, and I'm so excited to introduce you to Ann. I got to meet Ann Baring about a year ago. Actually, we were together on International Women's Day um, speaking, and I was just really struck by the history and wisdom that she brings to the to the the field of, you know, well, all different areas, spirituality, mythology, shamanic practice, artistic tradition, all of it. And um, and really struck recently when I heard her being um, speaking in another um, format around this call, this urgent call right now to women. Um, as you know, this fire and water is focusing on um, wise people and wisdom in the world. And I wanted to ask um, and elders, and I wanted to ask Anne right now. How do you see your role as an elder? And what do you think is being called for now in the world? My role now at the age of 91 is to speak directly from the heart and also a form of channeling really to the higher dimensions of the universe so that I can bring through something with great power and also absolute conviction that a change must come in human consciousness if we are to survive. So I have the age, I have the experience, I have the knowledge, and I know that now is the time when I have to speak out in the months or years that are left to me. And so I'm not in the least bit afraid <laughs> or shy or anything at all. Um, this is the time. Yeah, thank you. And I think it's needed. I think it is so needed. It's certainly needed. And th this is the time because we've been on the wrong path for very many centuries or even millennia, I would say four millennia, We've been engaged in war, in conquest, in fighting each other, in trying to conquer each other, all for the really quite unconscious mm -hmm. need, I think, to compensate for not knowing why we're here, having the, not the slightest idea what our role is on this planet and why it's so important. So instead of trying to find out, which had, we had plenty of teachers to teach us, We've just fallen back into the pattern of fighting each other and trying to get power over each other. And this has got to stop because it's going to lead to the end of our species and possibly to the end of planetary life if we go on the way we're going. Because there are great many things that are going on we don't know about. Um, secret weapons that are being prepared, interference with nature on all kinds of levels from 5G to something, um, things like HARP, H-A-A-R-P, which can interfere with the weather. I mean, there are many things going on that people don't know about and that I do know something about. So I need to speak up about the dangers of, of the, some, some aspects of the military and scientific uh, things that are going on and show why we have to live a different kind of life which in which we all come together collaborating and cooperating with each other instead of fighting each other for power and for getting above the other. You, you know, the masculine thing is, has been, not necessarily is always, but has been, how am I going to get ahead of my rivals? How am I going to be the greatest power in the world? 
And this has been the, the dialogue, really, between China, America, and Russia, and it's got us to the place we are in now. So I, I see this as a time of tremendous uh, need to awaken to what's going on and to awaken to our human um, divinity, which we've never been taught. We've always been taught that we're sort of um, fallen creatures in the Christian tradition, ever since that wretched fall of man myth, um, which dates back to 600 BC or a little bit more. So we need to free ourselves from all this conditioning, which has led us to think that we're really no more than just human beings on a planet for we know not what reason, messing around here, as it were, without knowing where we're going or where we've come from. We need to know the answers to these big questions. Where have we come from? What are we doing here? Where are we going when we die? Mm. And there is no death. That I'm absolutely sure of that. So I get that message out as well. Um, we'll meet again with our um, relatives who have passed on, just like the indigenous people know they meet with the ancestors. We will do the same. But we're just so pig ignorant, really. <laughs> <laughs> that, that it's just incredible how stupid we are because we instead of concentrating on finding the answer to these questions yeah. we get into fights and conflicts with each other and spend all our energy destroying each other yeah. i mean it's too ridiculous it and, is. <laughs> and, and this is human human sacrifice on a massive scale but we don't really call it human sacrifice and yet when you look at the number of young russian soldiers over 220,000 young men have died, Russian soldiers, and I don't know how many Ukrainian ones because they don't give the figures, but this is tragic. Yeah. This is utterly tragic that so many young men's lives are just wiped out at the age of 18, 19, 20, yeah. before they've lived their life, before they've had a chance to live. And so with another woman in America called um, Elizabeth Williams, was her idea. She was reading my book, The Dream of the Cosmos, and she suddenly had the idea, why don't we just stop war? Yes. <laughs> and so we got this uh, appeal together, wrote it down. It's still in in the process of working on it. It's not absolutely finalized yet. But it's just one page saying women from all over the world must come together to say enough is enough. We're absolutely sick of this um, violence, this tragedy this sacrifice, for what? For getting one nation more powerful than another. Yeah. To, I mean, it, it's it's just ludicrous. And from the point of view of the higher dimensions of the universe, say the angelic dimensions, all the great teachers who've gone before us who are watching what's going on on this planet, they are saying this has got to stop. So we've taken that on board and we've created this appeal and we're going to put it out in different directions. Uh, as I say, we're sure still we working on it. But we, we want to reach women in uh, Ukraine, in Russia, in uh, Europe, in Africa, in China, everywhere, and in India, wherever, like India and Pakistan might go to war over some stupid frontier to do with um, Kashmir. This is everywhere, and Sudan, war has got to stop, and all this killing and rivalry between males, because it is a rivalry between males. It's not the sort of thing women do, quite honestly. Um, even they may do it when they get into a position of power because they may copy the male model because there is no other model. 
And, and I think we have to create the feminine model, which is one of care, love and service to everything on the planet, everyone and everything, so that we are in service to something of a higher nature instead of being stuck in our old patterns. Does that make sense to you? It makes a lot of sense to me. One of the things that um, you said, and I tend to say, you know, we're, I believe we're spiritual beings having a human experience, not the other way around. <laughs> human beings that sometimes have spiritual ones. And when we really get that we're spiritual beings having a human experience, it changes everything. I think it does. It gives us a totally different perspective. By the yeah. way, that was a Greek philosopher who said that. It wasn't me. It was Parmenides. Oh, yes. Yeah. In 400 BC or even earlier, 600 BC. Yeah. So it's been a long, uh, it's been around for a long time that idea. Yeah. But has it reached the religions that we have? No, no. I I always say we we do a great job at imitating, but not integrating. <laughs> you know <laughs> what it really means to yeah. live being spiritual and human. And you know one of the things that I was struck by in the call that I heard you all speaking about this, and it was this call to stop war, but this acknowledgement that it happens not only in big ways on the ground, but all these other little ways that we encounter on a daily basis. You know, um, well, can you speak a little something to that? Yes, well, we encounter violence everywhere in our culture at the moment. It's on TV. It's in all the violent programs of the, um, what is it called, the detective stories. It's in the war films that are constantly coming up. It's in the way people treat each other on social media, the aggression that comes out, the, the real lethal desire to destroy the other. Mm -hmm. That's violence. And, and you have to address that sort of violence as well as the violence of war, because this is where it all starts. It starts also in, in schools with what people, uh, children are taught and how they're taught, with the harshness of competition all the time to pass exams, to get to the top. Um, to outdo others, it, it, the the emphasis is wrong all the way through, through from, from three years old up to a, my age. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, you have to give all that up, and you have to tune in to the divine ground, and say, what is it that I'm here on this planet for? What would you like me to do? What would you like me to focus on? And how can I serve you? If those things were asked, a, a great deal of violence would go because violence comes from not knowing anything and feeling confused, feeling unhappy, feeling depressed, and therefore projecting all that darkness in oneself onto somebody else and attacking them there, saying it's it's your fault, you've got to be silenced, you've got to be uh, cancelled, uh, you do it our way or else, you know, that sort of violence. Uh, there's a great deal of that around on the internet now, and it's just so tragic and such a waste of energy. And it's teaching children who tune into the internet and social media all the wrong values. Yeah. And we don't realize how much they get. I was sharing with a friend the other day, there's this little um, video game I sometimes will play on my phone, and it's just a little like ball game kind of thing. But in between, they have these commercials of these other video games. And this one has where it's always a woman who um, sometimes she's pregnant, sometimes she's not. And she finds her boyfriend or husband cheating on her. And he sometimes even literally kicks her to the curb. She falls on the ground. She's all sobbing and her makeup's all messed up and her hair. And, and the game is to do a makeover for her. 
And I thought, oh my God, like, um, you know, as a parent, you could say this ball game, your kid could play that, not knowing that they're seeing these commercials yeah. in between the games and how much that, you know, um, just tears down our women and also teaches men something, the, the boys something different too. That well, messages that I wouldn't want my son to have. You're absolutely right. And, and also what is happening is that people are being subliminally um, hypnotized into a certain way of thinking and a certain way of accepting all this as just what you've described, these images, that enters into the unconscious and it programs the unconscious to be prepared for danger all the time and also for aggression because of the fear. Yeah. The, uh, the the implication of that scene is fear, really, that one has to fear a woman being reduced to that in the street sort of thing, and um, who's done it to her, and that might happen. We just had three terrible murders yesterday in England. Um, two young students going home after celebrating their exams were stabbed to death just near their um, lodgings. Lovely young people, age 19, just lying dead in the street because somebody d decided to just stick a knife all over them. We, we have a culture of violence, and it's very, very dangerous. And I think that you're absolutely right to ask me to draw to comment on it, because it's one of the major problems of our society, which is not being addressed at all. And also, the school teachers are not allowed, uh, schools are not allowed to tell parents what they're teaching, children in our country, I don't know about what yours is like, but so the parents have no control over what the children are being taught, yeah. what, what ideas are being introduced to them um, in the school environment and what outside people are bringing in possibly to indoctrinate the children into something the parents may not even have any idea about. Mm. All that's wrong. And so I think that women need to get up and stand on their hand feet <laughs> Yeah. Look into the educational system, say this is not what we want for our children. And because we're all subject to government, because government pays for education in, in our country anyway, um, it it hamstrings us so that we're not enabled to protect protest because we are financially supported by the state in, in too many things. So there's a huge area of rethinking everything starting with education, starting with relationships between men and women, doing away with pornography, which um, again is another aspect of violence mm -hmm. against women and teaching young men uh, things that they should absolutely not know about or, or get fascinated by. Mm -hmm. And then apart from education, there's the whole thing of how we behave in society, how we treat the women who care for the young and the old, how we do we respect them or do we pay them the lowest possible wages mm -hmm. to the carers and the uh, nurses in hospital, which we do here. Yeah. They have the yeah. lowest wages of, of anyone. And also the, the carers are, are paid a pittance. So because they're not, their work is not respected. The work of caring is not respected as much as the work of succeeding in business and in being empowered and up at the top of the tree everybody who's considered to be down at the bottom of the tree is just ignored, really. Yeah. And that is shocking, and that must change. So that means laws must be changed, attitudes must be changed, and only women can do this mm -hmm. because men are too occupied with what they're doing to consider these wider issues. There may be a few men who certainly do, so I don't want to disparage the men, 
but on the whole, it is the women who will bring about change. And there are three people who um, have prophesied the role of women at this time. One was a Sufi man called Hazrat Inayat Khan, who said that he saw that, he, this was in 1924, he saw the day coming when women would be able to change the world. And the Dalai Lama said in, I can't remember exactly, but 10 or 15 years ago, he said, Western woman will save the world. And by that, he didn't mean that Western women are better, but that they have perhaps more education and more facilities for bringing about change. So the, those two things, and there are other people as well who, who um, added to that, but this, this is the time for women to wake up, take charge of what they want, and get rid of what they don't want. It's going to be a long struggle. It could take 100 years, 200 years. It's not going to happen overnight. But if we don't change, we've had it as a species, and we'll just go to our death like the Gadarene swine went over the cliff, if you remember that story. Yeah. We will be like those Gadarene swine, and we will just be herded over the cliff, probably through digital technology, mm-hmm. to obey whatever things that we're told to do. And we won't have the intelligence and the foresight to realize that we're being manipulated and programmed to our own destruction. You know, one of the things that someone shared with me yesterday that one of the grocery stores here is looking at doing is moving everything digital. So you come in, you have a, you don't even go through a cash register. You just take, pick your stuff and then go out and it like charges your, your card or whatever, your account. And I was thinking, you know, we're finding more and more um, reasons to not be in in interaction with each other, which just makes us less able to be in interaction with each other, which, you know, I just think is technology is great in some places and just is really harming us in so many other ones. You know, we have forgot, we're forgetting how to be human with each other, with ourselves. Well, that's right, because relationship is the key quality or character of the feminine principle. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole web of life is based on relationship at the very deepest invisible level, quantum level that we don't can't see, but is building up all from, from that deep layer of the web of life up to the human level of relationships and relationships are more important than anything that the relationship of the child to the mother of the um, husband to the wife or the partner or whatever is more important than anything and also the relationships in the community where people meet each other talk to each other engage with each other and um, do things together mm-hmm. um, you know, like I had this morning, we've had something done to our roof. We had to redo the, the surface. And there was the nicest men taking down the scaffolding. And there is a relationship between all those men taking the scaffolding down, doing a work together, yeah. and the community working together on, on some um, aim or some purpose that they share, you know, something that they're interested in that or work that they share. And this was always the way it was. And then the, the, the most unimportant roles in society are vitally important because they hold the whole web together. Yes. Yes. And like like these workmen, what would one do without them? What would one do without the care I have for my husband? Um, all these things count of immense importance. And the digital world is taking all that away because it's taking out the need to communicate with each other face to face and yeah. to engage with each other um, in meetings and, and, you know, just meeting on the everyday level in the shops. 
even the the shops now they're taking away the people serving at the counter and replacing them with these awful machines that you have to press buttons for in your bananas or your vegetables or whatever and there again there's no relationship yes and people used to go to the shop because they like talking to the person behind the counter yeah. and saying hello how are you you know it's a nice day today or whatever but not being able to speak is not good at all and especially in a time where so many of us are more isolated, even in our homes, we're not living communally either. And so some of the only interactions some people have is with those service people. That's right. Yes. And they look forward to it, particularly the old look forward to it because it's their, their outing for the day. Yeah. You go and get some food and have a little chat and feel that they're part of something. And if they're all cut off in their homes with only the internet to connect with the people, they get depressed quite rightly. Yeah. And I think there's so much depression in our society because it comes from the fact that the soul, which is the feeling qualities of a human being or the heart, is really shut out. It's yeah. just that you close the door on it. And that leads to severe depression because you're not living your whole self. Yes. Yes. And we have so many people who are walking around depressed and you know, yeah. again, if we don't have that a level of love and care for ourselves, it's hard to give to other people. Absolutely. It, it starts with understanding who you are, why you are here, and then your heart opens to, to other people and you can sort of get them to work together with you and understand what you're talking about and things. But I, I think this this loneliness of being shut off from each other and shut off from the heart and the soul is very dangerous because it leads to depression and suicide. And in even in children in lockdown, certainly there was terrible damage done to children who couldn't go out and play with other children. They couldn't be instinctive. Their instinct yeah. was blocked. Yes. And now they're suffering as they're growing up. That they, they don't they haven't got the sense of who am I in relation to other people. Yes, there is such anxiety that we're seeing, not only in our young people and some of the older people too, the but, older people but as well, yeah. in our young people. Yeah. yeah, and the older people are depressed because they don't know what's happened. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. What are some things that, you know, um, my my children are, you know, not little anymore, but when if there were parents that are listening to this who have young children, what are some things that you would advise them to do? I would advise them from the age of two to take them out into nature. If they're able, to, if they're in an environment where they can do that, I would show them, the, show the children, the trees, the flowers, the, the bees, the grass, whatever there is in their environment. I would get them to touch things, not just look at them, but actually feel the feel of what a flower stem is like and what are the different kinds of leaves of the trees so that they will remember that because at the age of three or four and five, you remember the feel of a beech tree or of a redwood tree or whatever it might be. Also to look at the birds mm -hmm. and the animals around them and also to, if possible, have an animal to, to stroke and to touch um, whatever. It can be a guinea pig. It can be anything that, that a child sort of feels drawn to. But the, the relationship with animals is very important, but equally the relationship with nature around us is, is equally important. And really by the age of five or six, they should have a sense that they belong to the nature, the natural world, that they're not separate from it, but they're part of it. 
And the parents could teach them that with words as well, saying you are part of this world that we're looking at and you're touching. Um, remember this because it's very important. And then um, when they're stroking the cat, just get them to be more at, um, attentive to what the feel of the fur of the cat is like or the feel of the fur of a dog and different dogs, different fur, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Just pay attention to details, which when the children are very young, they do very easily. They're interested in everything. You know how a baby crawls around and looks in cupboards and yes. <laughs> um, tries to explore? Well, that that interest in exploration is absolutely innate in the instinct. And if you can um, develop that in a child, you'll give the child a wonderful foundation and also give it a trust in itself. Let it do things that most people think, oh, well, it might get dirty or muddy or it might um, hurt itself. Let it take risks, a reasonable sort of risk, obviously, but to discover what it's capable of. What I hear you speaking to is relationship. Be in relationship yeah. with nature. With everything, you know? yes. With everything. With everything, yeah. yeah. I had, when I was 10 years old, I lived in, in Santa Fe, near Santa Fe, and I had a wonderful Indian guide who took me riding. And we went to the Navajo um, reservations, and I must have seen the ceremonies there because I've got a deep feeling of connection. Mm -hmm. Only 10 years old, but the connection with the horse and with the Indian rider riding beside me and nature all around me, the desert mostly, and then coming to this reservation and seeing all the different um, Indians there, the men and the women and the children, that made a different, deep impression that probably laid the ground for the work that I'm doing now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. You know, um, we are nature, right? And so yeah, we are. So this, um, I think oftentimes in nature is where people have spiritual awakenings because they're called it's almost like a call home right mm. we, we spend that time in nature and get to learn one of the things that i uh do with groups is i ask them like where do you even know where your water comes from yeah. even just that question of find out like mm. that comes out of your faucet every day because we just take that for granted you know exactly. that yeah. and that those steps can help get us curious about like oh well, I'd never thought about that. You know, what mm. else around you haven't we paid attention to? And gardening, especially with my kids, I used to love to garden. You know, kids love to play in the dirt and have their hands in the dirt and see something grow. I mean, to exactly. see like, you know, and how quickly or how slowly nature yeah. moves too. That That's right. And I should have said that because if you have a little patch where you can grow things, it would be wonderful to just plant, plant a few vegetables in the spring or flowers and give a child a little patch of their own, not too big, but yeah. something where they can see things coming up and they can watch it inch by inch how it's growing. Yeah. And they, they will rush out to look in the morning and see, has it grown overnight, you know? Yes. And that's yeah. all that is terribly important. It's more important than book learning in school. Yeah. It it's absolutely lays the foundation for relationship with nature and also relationship with the soul, because this is all yes. the soul is is as it were contains nature and um you're in touch with the soul when you're in touch with nature so that would be a very good beginning for children definitely there's um a book years ago i read called perfect madness mothering in the age of anxiety and <laughs> it talks it's uh 
talks about mothers about my age, I'm 52, was born a little bit older, a little bit younger than me, and how we were raised to be businesswomen and not to be mothers. And yeah. so how we tend to manage our children rather than mother them. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that those are the women that tend to be in our schools as teachers that are managing our kids now and instead mm -hmm. of mothering them. And that's why we have like the soccer moms that are running the kids all over the place and, and that it takes a lot, I think, um, or it was for me, I had to be really intentional about my mothering and learning how to mother. You know, my mother was 15 when I was born, so she didn't know how to mother, you know? And so um, me learning, like, and I always say, I called actually me when I was home with my kids, I used to call it my Miyagi moments. It was the karate kid, me learning from them, like, you know, all these things about how to support someone or how to listen or how to be with them or how to, you know, um, if they were disputes, how to mediate that, you know, there's lots of stuff that I've said, I've said my children have kind of raised me to um, how to mother them, you know, um, and you're right, because the whole emphasis in my 20s, I suppose, that 70 years ago, um, was really on being in the world, earning your living training to be whatever you were going to be. There weren't many professions open to women. There was teaching, there was uh, nursing, and something probably to do with uh, being a secretary. Those were the yeah. three things. And I didn't want to be any of those. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I went on a great journey to the Far East and I learned about other civilizations and I learned about, I met people all the way along that I made contact with. and. Um, that was, for me, my opening experience. But for mothering, when I came to have my own child, I had the slightest idea how to relate to her, really. I had to learn, as you did, um, inch by inch. And luckily, uh, the man I married was very um, good with feeling and everything, better than me with build bringing up a child, I think. But all the emphasis then was on the career woman. Nobody yeah. paid any attention whatsoever to mothers. None mm -hmm. whatsoever, and they still don't. Yes, yes. You know, I, it's how to. Now it's all about how do you balance work and home. You know, how mm -hmm. do you manage yes. the, the children and the workplace without being totally exhausted trying to do your best in both places? It's too much for most women, yes. particularly if they have more than one child. Say if they have two or three children, they cannot have a profession unless it's done in the home and look after the children well. It's just not possible. When I first had my um, son, Jacob, I, you know, thought I was going to work. And then I was like, oh, no, I can't do this. <laughs> and so, um, but my work actually was wonderful enough to say, okay, we will take you down to, you know, not your whole hours part time and hire somebody to do and we'll have you present when when you're needed and that I was able to bring my son to work with me at times too. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah. For that first year before I decided to stay home. Um and me being home with my son, one of the things like even nursing, no one in my family nursed. So it was the first one in my family to even learn how to do those things, you know, for yes. my children. Well, that was unusual too. Yes. That's gone out of fashion. Yes. It's coming back now. You know, um, there's a big movement for nursing, but it wasn't. It was like, a matter of fact, they, I think when my mother was, had me, they were recommending that the parents not nurse. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so which just seems so backwards, right? Like the and and as I learned like how wonderful again our bodies are to uh, you know adapt to the timing of our babies 
it like um, from the baby saliva, it, it learns like exactly what nutrients it needs from our bodies. You know, all of those things that um, we just aren't, haven't been teaching young. The right women. things haven't been, we haven't been teaching the basics of the importance of relationships starting yeah. in the womb and and not was completely ignorant as what you're saying that of how miraculous the body is and how miraculous the the um, formation of the fetus and the embryo and the growth of the child and how miraculous the timing of the birth and or you know if you go with it and all is well everything comes out right but yeah. but if you interfere all the time saying the birth must be like this. And there's been a, a movement far too much in this country of um, saying that all women must have natural births, even if they're going to die without having a cesarean. You know, it, it's yeah. the, again, an idea gets embedded in the, in the uh, midwives and they force it on the mothers, mm -hmm. even though it's against the saving the child's life or the, yeah. and the mother's life. There's been a big row because because many thousands, not no, not thousands, but hundreds of babies have died mm. in uh, childbirth because they didn't have this right um, interference in time, in, in yeah. the help when it was needed, and yeah. the mothers have died of postpartum hemorrhages and things like that. So the whole things need rethinking, and women can re reformulate what needs to be done if they come together to talk about it, work it out. Mm -hmm. and create a different sort of health service. That's another yes. thing. That's um, something I was working with a group actually in Kansas City recently that is um, training doulas and doing, they have their own mm -hmm. clinic. But what they're trying to do is to change the legislation so that they can or that they can have their own birthing center. So they can have the equipment that's needed yeah. when it's needed and not try to, because when they're trying to do it in combination with the hospitals they're too rigid to allow you know what yeah. it's like we need both it's like it's, a, it's not, they're, an not, they're, not they're not flexible enough yes. and therefore people slip through the cracks yes which is, and also they don't stay in hospital long enough after they've given birth so that they can have a few days rest yes. for instance in france they have a week in yes. which they get accustomed to the baby and they have help with nursing and mm -hmm. a far better beginning rather than being pushed out of the hospital and told to, well, go home and do it on your own. <laughs> I did a, uh, I decided that in other places we treat mothers better when they have babies. And so I actually um, reached out to women I knew and asked if women would come and spend a day with me and my toddler and my baby for 30 days after my husband went back to work. And I had people call that say, I didn't get a day. It ended up being 45 days that this women, these women came into our home and cooked for us or tended to us. And it was just so lovely. Lovely, lovely. Yes. What a good idea. Yeah. And because women need help and support yes. after the birth, they really do, because there they all, all of a sudden, they have this yeah. new baby yeah. and they don't know what to do and they panic yeah. and then they fall into postnatal depression, which, which is unnecessary if they had the right support. Yeah. I had postnatal depression. I've only had one daughter. But um, I remember I was like a sort of, I don't know what really. And I, I didn't know how to cope at all. Well, I think it's kind of one of the things I was struck by when I first had my son was, you know, they they at the hospital, they give you a baby and tell you to go home and, you know, put the baby on a schedule. And I'm like, what kind of schedule does a baby, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, you know, and just struck by how much, and especially because we're not living intergenerational. 
before when you had sometimes oh you had your, your mother in your house or your sister in your house home with you you had yeah. people who could help you and support that's you. right now you're all alone and, yes. and you just don't know what's hit you really and yes. then you told the baby's underweight or the baby needs yes. this or that i was feeding my my little girl far too much i think the doctor said one she, she was sitting on the sofa <laughs> he said my god what have you been feeding <laughs> <laughs> you said reduce her number of bottles to I don't know what three yeah. a day to five or six. Yeah, <laughs> but I hadn't got a clue, and there yes. was no, no one there to tell me. Yes, yeah. Luckily, she's come through. She's very strong, actually. Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah she survived. <laughs> she survived. We, we have that. We have that joke in our family too. Every birthday, we say our kids, "We we um we kept you alive another year." Is kind of our family <laughs> joke, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah yeah well, but then, yeah um i was just going to say there's just so much that where women are needed yes. in every sphere and i think they need to wake up to the fact that they are needed and to look at where they could help and where they could learn where they could share with other women yeah and set about changing society into a different kind of place altogether which is welcoming to the baby and the mother and which is uh, welcoming to the child starting school, which has nature as the background to the school and um, yeah. no competition and no fears put into children early on that they have to pass exams. They can pass exams in a different way. The whole thing yeah. could be reformulated in a different way. And they can learn through being interested. Yeah. Uh, there, there are many, there are many teachers now actually who are doing this in different parts of the world, particularly in Scandinavia, yeah. in Finland and uh, Norway, and yeah. uh, Sweden. We were, they are far in advance of the other European countries. We are lucky here to have public Montessori school, and even high school, and my kids attended. And and their seventh grade year, I'm going, or no, it's their eighth grade before they go into high school they take them to the Bahamas on a 10 day trip to be out on the water and they have to major in a, in a fish and minor in an organism and they collect data. And, but this whole piece about being in, and being away from your parents that, you know, was really impactful for my children to like spend that time, like you said, in nature and learning, yes. exploring and touching and, you know. Yeah, exactly. Doing all the things that it would be good to do in the beginning as well. Yes. But yeah. what, an, what an intelligent school to do that. That's lovely. Yeah. So yeah. I, um, one of the things I heard, and I hear you speaking a little bit about, you know, I heard this quote years ago that we get it backwards. We think that men carry the power and women carry the love. But when we're at our best, it's just the opposite. Men show up in pure love, they'll serve until, and women show up and use their power. They're the ones in the villages that says, you've chopped enough wood, you've fished enough fish, it's time to stop. <laughs> you know, And that we as women have forgotten to carry our power and men have forgotten to carry their love. And so mm -hmm. what I hear in this call to women, it's for us to stand in our power. Yeah, that's and to know that we are capable of doing so much more than we have any idea of because we've been conditioned to accept a subservient role for, for 4,000 years, never to speak up. Women's voice is not heard during all that time, except now and then a queen like our Queen Elizabeth or something, mm -hmm. or Eleanor of Aquitaine in the Middle Ages or something. But on the whole, woman has been silenced. And she was silenced mainly by religious beliefs and religious indoctrination. 
so that she had to apparently she was told she had to imitate the Virgin Mary and be just meek and gentle and receptive. And this has been taught in Christian teaching in Europe was was like that, and women were never allowed to speak up about anything. So there, this conditioning is in the psyche, and they have to be aware of it and break through it without being uh, raucous and dominant and dominating. Mm. They have to learn how to balance the power with the love and always, to, to, I love the idea of the Buddhist idea of equanimity, mm -hmm. just keep this balanced feeling of calm. They don't have to do anything, but it has to be a creative upsurge of desire to do something and also a trust in one's own power to, to bring about the change that they would like. So I think that, that the future is bright, provided that we can enough women can really wake up out of the conditioning, which is very deep and very powerful in the certainly in the European and I think the American psyche as well. Mm -hmm. And possibly I, I, I don't know, look at China, the conditioning that women have had there. Yeah. But they've been they are now, as it were, um, they can speak in public and they can, they're educated in the same way where before there was no education for women whatsoever in China. Yes. And and in India either. So there are huge changes which women are bringing about. I know many women in India who are doing remarkable things. But the um uh the murder uh level in India is very, very high and, and murdering women or girls. Yes raping women and girls. Yes. There are shocking abuses that take place in India which are not being addressed. So every, everywhere there's work to be done by intelligent, committed, and awakened women, I think, definitely. And do you have your call to action with you? Would you be willing to read it? Um, yes, I have. Yes, I, I will read what it is. We're changing it a little bit. Okay. Um, women are one half of humanity, yet our voice is not heard in relation to war. We see every day how war is destroying human life and the precious life of the planet. This must stop. Most of us do not experience the full horror of what is happening, but those who are ordered to fight and kill if they survive are condemned to suffering for the rest of their lives from the atrocities they have witnessed and the injuries they may have sustained. Mothers and grandmothers never recover from the unbearable loss of their beloved sons and grandsons. Grief, bitterness, hatred, fear, and trauma pass from generation to generation. Trauma does not vanish over time, but is held within the collective psyche of humanity, in the collective unconscious of humanity. That is why all war and violence must stop. This is a key moment in our evolution. The choices we make now will determine our future and whether there is a future. There is only one power in the world that can eliminate war, and that power is women in service to love. So we proclaim, we, the women of the world, command that all war and violence stops now. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I think that we're so lacking the voices of the elders in our community. 
you know? Um, and so I so appreciate this time to be able to be with you in conversation. And I've been blessed to have elders in my life show up and, um, and it's everything, you know, um, because it is how we get to witness, um, not just be told, but witness what it is to be eldered and to um, grow into elders ourselves. <laughs> yeah, because as an elder, you have the authority, you have the life experience, you have the knowledge, and you have the longing to make things better. Mm. And because of your age and because of what you've experienced in life, you can speak with that note of absolute authority and wisdom, I think. And that is what an elder is. It's the purveyor of wisdom. So any last words you want to speak? Not really. Just to say thank you for offering me this chance to speak. It's lovely for me to be able to speak and to um, um, go over these things with somebody who understands and who is as interested as I am in making things better for humanity. So that's lovely for me. It's a great honor and a great privilege, and I'm very, very grateful. Thank, Thank you, you, Anita. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that my work honors yours. I'm sure it does. Thank you. Maybe we'll meet again on Jim Garrison's program. Yes. <laughs> Humanity <laughs> Rising. Yes. You could point people to that program, perhaps, say that they can also listen to my mother's messages, which she couldn't do anything in her time, but... I inherited the messages and I can do what she couldn't do 70 years ago. Yes. And so there did, has been a big change. And you did speak that there's a book coming about your mother's messages. Is that true? Um, it's being printed at the moment. Okay. Yes. And, and right. it will be just called messages from a transcendent dimension. Okay. And we'll look with for my, those. With my name on it. Yeah. Thank you. 